Welcome to the JPR Group Podcast, brought to you by the JPR Group of Baird Private Wealth Management. We're dedicated to bringing our clients, colleagues, and centers of influence the latest in wealth strategies, ideas, and information to keep you informed and confident. Also, listen in on conversations with industry leaders and interesting people from around the country that are changing the landscape of their businesses. This is the JPR Podcast. Welcome back to the JPR Podcast. This is Sean Perry, and today I've got with me Chris Staples. Chris is the COO of Hilliard Lines Trust Company and is here with us for part two of the estate planning series. As you remember, we had uh, part one, which came out earlier, and if you hadn't had a chance to listen to it, please go back and listen to that. But in part one, we had Ella Neely, who's with Baird, and Ella uh, helped talk about basic estate planning. We covered topics such as wills, revocable trusts, power of attorneys, the importance of beneficiary designations, healthcare surrogates, and, and a lot more. But today we've got Chris, and Chris is here. He's, as I said, he's the COO of Hilliard Lines Trust Company. And Chris and I are going to talk a little bit more about what's going on now in the um, current landscape with trust and estate planning. So welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thank you, Sean. Uh, One of the things I'm really interested in, especially in your newer role as uh, COO of the trust company, is what was it like to be in charge of the whole administrative aspect of um, a trust company during COVID. I'm sure that had to be a very fascinating thing. Well, if, um, if anybody was being paid every time the word challenge was used throughout the country <laughs> during 2020, I think it could pay off, you know, a lot of the debt and take care of a lot of things. And we were no different. We it was a huge challenge for us. You know, I remember it was, uh, it was Monday, March 16th, and we came in, had our leadership team meeting, and we knew that you know the NCAA had just announced they were going to cancel their the basketball tournament. The NBA had, had, had canceled games. Things were canceling all around us. Uh, workplaces were being closed. We had not officially yet, and then we got the word that morning and that afternoon everyone was – we took our show on the road, so to speak, and we went from everybody, virtually everyone being in our main office, which is in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, to the, you know, everyone's living rooms, basements, dining room tables is where we started to operate a trust company from the next day. Um, you know, being a trust company, we, um, we process a lot of transactions. We make sure that our clients, beneficiaries of trust or, or, or clients, you know, they, they expect payments, they expect us to take care of paying bills, they, they expect us to, uh, you know, uh, keep the money moving, so to speak, for them. And that, that requires people being on the ground to, to print checks, to get things in the mail. And so we still had a, uh, you know, we, we had to cautiously put a group, have a group on site to make sure we were still able to do that. But by and large, you know, on day one, we were 90% working remotely, which was difficult. Um, over time, over the you know first few weeks, we started to find our footing. Um, you know, the big then the challenge too was we weren't around each other. You know, we weren't around each other to collaborate. We weren't around each other. You know, we had to get comfortable with uh, picking up our cell phone and calling people at home, which historically, and I think I learned this human nature. You know, generally you don't want to bother people at home that you work with unless it's an actual emergency. Well, guess what? Now we're all at home, so we've got to talk. Uh, and then we started using, you know, Zoom and WebEx to get back in front of each other. And then we realized we can do this with clients. And that was that was really, you know, liberating. Uh, and, you know, we really started to to stay in contact because with our clients, which was important as well, because not only were they worried about the pandemic, but, you know, and 
middle of March, end of March, we were, you know, the market's down 30%. They're nervous about finances as well, not just about what could happen if they caught, they or a family member caught, caught the virus, but finances. So it was a time for us to, you know, get our feet underneath us, but immediately get back in front of clients and, and start, you know, making sure that they were reassured. Thankfully, the market bounced back and, you know, we, we were able to uh, have those conversations and, you know, move forward. And I think we've gotten really, you know, it's taught us that uh, one of the women that, that works in our trust company made a comment uh, as we were going through some goal setting uh, late last year into this year. She said, you know what 2020 taught me was, I think we were, were stronger than we probably thought we were. Because, you know, we ended the year, we went through a year very successfully. We, we added new accounts. We didn't lose many at all. Uh, and I think our clients appreciated the fact that we were proactive and, and stayed in front of them uh, and were there for them when they needed us. Well, I know at 2020, you know, it seemed like a lot of clients, um, and I was surprised a little bit, but it, give, it, it had an opportunity where they kind of refocused on their estate plan. And they looked back at it and, and we, we worked real hard. And, and I was really thankful for Baird having the flow charts and things. And we talked a little bit about that with Ella, just the ability to turn state planning documents into a flow chart. And that helped us have conversation with clients. And I know that in the estate planning world, there's been a lot of activity um, redoing documents. And a lot of times we run across clients who it's been, you know, it's been 10 years maybe since they've updated their documents and, I know I've got some opinions on things that, you know, I like to see, you know, change, but, you know, when you think about that, just the role of trustee, how has that changed? You know, um, it seems like people are using corporate trustees more. So how do you see, you know, the role being a trust company? How do you see that role changing a lot in, inside of estate planning documents? Yeah. You know, there's a joke in the estate planning community because uh, there's a if there's a more humorous community than the estate planning community. You know, you could show it to me, but I doubt it's out there. But there's a joke in the estate planning community when a when a client comes in and says, "I need to, you know, it's urgent. I need to, you know, we got to update my estate plan." One of two things have happened. One, they're they're either getting ready to travel, likely overseas, so they want to make sure everything's in order, or either they, a friend, or a family member has had a health scare. Well, we just went through a year of pandemic, which was a tremendous health scare. And you're right, so many people read. You know, focus back on and said, what, what, what does our not just what our will says? And you mentioned that Ella went through the documents, you know, in a complete estate plan. What does my power of attorney say? What happens if I become incapacitated? I'm on a ventilator, things along those lines. So I think if if nothing else, a lot of clients went through this year and updated their plans or started to think about it. Um, you know, when you when you think about the role of trustee and trust in general, uh, trusts have been used for you know centuries. To be honest with you. Uh, and for so long, the, the, the trust structure, you had a trustee, you had a grantor, the individual who funds the trust, creates the trust. You had a trustee who was in control, and then you had beneficiaries who relied on the trustee to take care of them per the terms of the document. We're seeing so many changes, though, in terms of creating flexibility in trust administration. And I think there's a, there's a variety of reasons for that. Uh, one, uh, and I guess when I talk about additional roles or, or different governance structures for trust is really how we, we talk about it. I mean, you've got a corporate trustee and people are, and you're right, not just clients, but their estate planning attorneys, you know, their other advisors are liking the idea of having a corporate trustee involved. One, because it's a professional. Two, it, they're objective. And, and that's great. But how do we add in, you know, say a family voice or, you know, one of the reasons 
a lot of people use trust is for asset protection because assets I leave for my kids in trust can't be, you know, they're not subject to claims of creditors if they get, if they were to get divorced or get sued. Uh, so I like the idea of the asset protection. So it's not that I'm leaving my assets in trust because I don't trust my kids. It's because I don't trust the outside parties. So, I, you know, my kids, you know, my son's responsible, knows what he's doing. Uh, my daughter, you know, she's a financial advisor. Why, why would I name another trustee? Well, we see a lot of people using the corporate trustee structure, but then creating, say, an advisory committee, or sometimes called a trust protector. And these, these roles, these, these, uh, these designations are somewhat interchangeable, but it's a way to give a beneficiary or a family member a voice, a seat at the table in terms of trust administration uh, and what goes on, how, how the trust is administered, how the trust is invested. You know, beneficiaries can have a say, some say, uh, in, in all those areas. Um, and whether it's the beneficiary, whether it's another family member, or another advisor, frankly, gives another voice for the corporate trustee to lean on in terms of, you know, because the greatest benefit of using a corporate trustee is we're objective. I don't have a dog in this fight. My job is to interpret the document and do what I'm told to do based on what I understand the, the, the goals and the concerns of the client to be at the grantor. Um, sometimes you'd like a little color on that, though. What, you know, what did you mean by this? Or, you know, to help us make this decision, what, what would that individual have done if they were here today to write this check or maybe take this request? That's where that family member or that beneficiary could, can help you decide. Um, we also see, you know, the benefit of, of using that structure with, uh, you know, you and I were talking earlier, you know, uh, different generations have different attitudes about how they want to be, you know, involved, how they want to interact. And, you know, we are seeing uh, with millennials in particular, you know, they communicate differently than, than, than we do. You know, I'm a Gen Xer. I think you said you're a Gen Xer. Uh, you know, millennials, they communicate differently. They're also a lot more active uh, than I think perhaps other generations might have been. They're active not just in how they want to have some control over what's going on in their financial world, but maybe, and, and also control over what they want the wealth to be used for in terms of their, um, you know, their favorite charity, their favorite uh, activity, whatever the case may be. Uh, so giving a, giving that individual a seat at the table allows them to, you know, have some control, have a say in how a trust is administered. Um, it also, and I will tell you, I've seen where an individual, uh, you know, a beneficiary will come to the trustee and ask for money. So, and a lot of times the beneficiary will look at that trust and, and the trustee is an ATM. So I'm here, I need more money, I need more money. Once you give them a seat at the table and some responsibility, we start to see that individual ask questions of our trust officers, of our portfolio managers, the investment professionals in the trust company. They start to ask questions, not about when can I get more money out of the trust, but they're asking questions. Wait a minute, I noticed in the statement that you sold Apple this month. Didn't we just buy Apple a couple of months ago? You know, Explain to me what's going on there. And they're asking from a place of, they don't have the financial education. That's frankly one of the reasons why people use trust, but they start to be more engaged. And, you know, not that we're all teachers, but there is a, there's an opportunity for us to educate them. And you start to explain why you buy things and why you sell things and why it looks more attractive to buy or sell something today versus another. So we're seeing, a, you know, going away from the stodgy trustee and beneficiary relationship to trustee and some intermediary and the beneficiary. Well, I've taken, you know, when in discussing with clients and in my role in the team, you know, as you know, is a lot of times leading these discussions or at least getting the client to a place where they can have a conversation with someone like yourself in the trust company or 
um, with an estate planning attorney. But one of the things that, that I've loved, and I had this conversation yesterday is just in, in totally stole it from you, but historically clients would leave funds to someone at 25, 30, 35, 30, 35, 40, you know, a third, a half, and then the remainder. And um, switching that to where, you know, they would leave, the, make the child ultimately the trustee at some point. Like this one, yet, um, yesterday it was 30, 35, 40. And we said, what if we make, you know, have a corporate trustee, then at 35, the, the child becomes or the adult, I guess, at that time, becomes co-trustee and 40, they become trustee themselves. And it's just a completely different mindset, you know, that where the document says you get the money outright. I mean, a lot of times you could see that as more of a windfall versus now you are the fiduciary that's overseeing these assets. And it just, I think it's a complete different mind shift. So, you know, I've really valued that. And as I've shared that with clients, it's become something that a lot of people are, are putting into place. So I give yeah, you credit I mean, for it. Well, I don't know that I came up with it, but it is something I'm a fan of because I've seen, again, an individual that, that, that might turn into just somebody who wants money from a trust to somebody who becomes engaged, wants to get educated and starts to take responsibility. You know, there's a, um, a state planning attorney that I work with here in Louisville who's fond of saying, you know, clients will come in and say, I need you to draft this trust because my kids are, you know, they're awful with money. They're responsible. And it's like, look, I'm a really good trust drafter. There is not, a, there's no drafting in the world that will fix bad parenting though. And he's bold enough to tell the client that, uh, but there, there are ways to, um, you know, step individuals who maybe don't have the financial education, you know, through a process where they start to get it either by osmosis or, you know, you're going to have responsibility for this at some point, you know, start paying attention. Yeah, that's great. That's great stuff. Let's get to another topic that I think is going to be of interest to most people and that's potential tax law changes. Um, and I know all this is, is sort of speculation at this point with a new administration and a lot of stimulus. It's has happened, is happening as, as we speak. You know, there, it's potentially coming into place. Um, what what is the current feeling about you know what we're going to see around tax law changes and and how the trust company and how individuals should be responding to that? Yeah, that's uh, that's that's a great question. And, you know, the, the speculation really started in the fall um, when it looked like we were looking at a change in administration, which we saw uh, and the difference of opinions on the wealth transfer tax. And we'll talk about estate and gift tax. That's really what you talk about. Um, but it's also the changes in the income tax world that have an impact on estate planning strategies that might have made sense two years ago, but won't make sense after the next piece of legislation comes down the pike. Um, in terms of what we expect, I think everyone expects, um, you know, today uh, we have a federal estate tax exemption this year, you know, $11.7 million per person. So couples can shield, you know, a lot of money from federal estate and gift taxes. Uh, we expect that exemption amount to be reduced in any new tax legislation this year. Um, there's also been talk, and when I say talk, this is you know, these were ideas or uh, strategy or, or policy ideas talked about during the campaign or during debates uh, that President Biden was a part of. So it's a, it's a reduction of that exemption amount. You know, the 11.7 million reduct, uh, exemption 
is set to come down anyway in January 1 of 2026 uh, uh, due to a sunset provision when, when it was increased a few years ago. So we, we always plan for it coming down, but we, we see it may be coming down sooner than we thought. And it goes um, down to 5 million indexed. Is that, is that the number? Five indexed. And I think the, the last thing I saw where they, because it's indexed for inflation, it would be somewhere around 6.1, 6.2, 6.1, okay. 6.2 million dollars on January 1, 2026. I will caution you though, because we've been cautioning clients since it was increased. You know, it's set to sunset, but there are two, there were two presidential elections between that day and the sunset. We've gone through one change of administration. We've still got another to go. So I don't know that we'll see that sunset. Uh, I think we'll see a reduction in the exemption amount. I think there will also be talk about an, in, you know, the uh, the law that President Trump passed reduced the um, estate tax rate as well. So we'll see, we'll probably see an increase in the estate tax rate. Uh, there are other things that are talked about in the estate planning world uh, in terms of potential changes. You know, an individual passes away today, any assets they own that pass on to heirs, uh, the cost basis in those assets is stepped up to a date of death value. So whatever I bought my, you know, I buy a share of Apple stock for $10 and when I die, it's worth $100. Uh, if I were to sell that stock while I'm living, that's $90 in capital gains and I'd pay tax on that capital gains. If I die owning that share of stock and my heir takes it, my, my wife takes that share of stock, her new basis in that, in that $100 Apple stock is $100. So she could sell it the next day with no capital gains. Um, there has been talk about uh, removing or significantly uh, limiting the ability to step up cost basis for assets, um, which would generate a lot in capital gains taxes and, and cause a lot of headaches for people who, you know, haven't been tracking cost basis because they think I'm going to hold this till I die, whether it's a marketable security or a piece of real estate or, you know, you name it in terms of an asset. Those are the three biggies, you know, the reduction in the exemption amount, the increase in the rate and the potential loss of the step up in cost basis. And there are a lot of other little, you know, angles, uh, policy proposals that frankly were part of the Obama administration that went away after uh, the President Trump was elected uh, that we could see coming back that impact uh, how valuations are made for certain types of assets for estate tax purposes. You know, that will impact very few clients. Uh, what will impact most will be the exemption amount. And what will impact a, you know, the majority of people will be the loss of the step up in basis if we see that come to pass. You know, the real issue, Sean, though, is, you know, leading up to year end, there was a, a fever to get some planning done to use exemption amounts in anticipation of that amount decreasing. And then after it looked like, you know, there was a chance, you know, at one point, a good chance the Republicans would hold the Senate that, okay, well, it's probably not going to be drastic change, maybe. Uh, and then, you know, that didn't work out. So now that there's a new fever this year to get, th get things done, to use that exemption, the 11.7, because the IRS issued a regulation a, couple, a year or so, a couple of years ago, uh, basically indicating that if you use that 11.7, they won't claw it back. So if you, if you give away $11.7 million today, Sean, but when you die, the exemption is $5 million, uh, you'll get credit for that 11.7. That's free and clear out of your estate. Uh, now, again, that's, that's a regulation that's, that's, you know, that's from the IRS, but can legislation change that? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, what people are really worried about is if you gave away that, uh, you know, gave it away today and used your $11.7 million exemption, if they pass legislation, new tax legislation this summer, could they make it retroactive back to January 1? 
basically saying, okay, forget what the IRS said about not being able to claw it back. You gave it away on March 10th, but because we made this retroactive, the exemption on March 10th was 11.7, it was $4 million. So you owe us tax on the balance. So here's your, here's your invoice. Uh, that's what people were worried about. And the last time we faced this retroactive issue was I believe the 2011-12, yeah, yeah, when, sure. when the changes were going about. And all of a sudden you had estate planning and tax attorneys start to try to become constitutional law scholars and we're not. Um, and some would argue we're not even real lawyers, to be honest with you. I and mean, we're just we're just taxing the state people. Uh, we're very excited when one of our cases makes it to the U.S. Supreme Court, because then we feel lawyerly and scholarly. We put on our powdered wigs and our black robes and we feel good about <laughs> ourselves. Um, but, you know, the reality is nobody really knows. There is some precedent to, to enacting legislation retroactively. Uh, there is something that just feels completely unfair about it because obviously if the exemption is $4 million on March 10th, you're not going to give away $11 million and incur gift tax on that day. You'd give away $4 million. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, where, where we fall on this, the real issue is will they make it retroactive? Not will the change come because I think everybody believes a change will come. The real issue will be, will it be retroactive? And that is something to stay tuned to. And I can tell you, Attorneys who are advising clients are being very careful to make sure the client understands there's not there's very little we can do about this. We can put clauses in, you know, that might try to define a value of a gift or, you know, write our own rules. But again, there's no guarantee those kind of things work. So it's a, you know, it's a it's a scary time to do planning. Who um, and I'll, I'll sort of wrap, try to wrap us up here at the end. But, you know, as we think about. These, this big reduction in exemption amount. And I, and I like the, the way you say, like, it's not if it changes. I mean, it's going to change. It's just whether it changes this year with through law, and if not, it's going to change in five years anyway. Um, but who should be responding to this? Like, what, you know, what are the type of clients asset-wise um, who, should, who should be, you know, acting? Should, you know, should at least be, have their ears up, the antennas up, focused in on what's going on? Well, I, you know, this is, uh, again, you and I were talking about it a little bit earlier. Uh, if you haven't looked at your estate plan in, say, the last five years, you know, shame on you, because we've seen enough changes in tax, not just tax laws, but but state trust laws as well that necessitate a, let's look at it and make sure your plan is still going to do what it's going to do. And that's where those, those flow charts that Ella and her team do, they're so helpful and, uh, you know, uh, opening a client's eyes to, to see things. Oh, wait a minute. I didn't expect it to do that. Um, so in terms of who should be paying attention to this, obviously, you know, clients who have a net worth, you know, let's call it over, I don't know, $10 million, $10, $15 million. So it's not the $20 million that, that could use both their exemptions. To me, it's the clients, it's the couple who, you know, with a combined exemption, uh, let's say it goes, you know, where are the new exemptions going to be? Nobody knows. Is it going to be three and a half million? Is it going to be five? Uh, we just don't know. So I think, you know, that 10 million range, that's where, you know, we could probably put together a plan where we could use your exemptions this year. There are trust strategies you can use, you know, to gift assets and still have access to one of this one or the other spouse can still have access to it. Um, there are ways to do that uh, and use the exemption now. So it's the clients who are kind of in that area, that, that range. Uh, there are also, I will tell you, and regardless of what your net worth is, there are a lot of formulas in your estate plan probably that are based on this number that the IRS gives us every year. Uh, 
every time that number changes, your estate plan potentially changes as well. Uh, so anybody who feels like their estate plan is based on, um, you know, the exemption amount, because in the old days, we definitely had that in there. Whatever the exemption amount is, we're going to put it in this trust and whatever's left over, we put it in this other trust and both trusts look very different from each other. Um, this number has gone up, it's gone down, it went to zero for a while. You know, remember that's the year that George Steinbrenner passed away um, mm-hmm. and virtually no transfer tax at his death. Um, so, you know, it's hard to put a number on who should pay attention to this. I mean, look, again, I'm an estate planning geek, so I say everybody should pay attention to their estate plan. As they see changes, reach out to somebody who can help interpret the document and, and look at it for them, whether it's their estate planning attorney, whether it's somebody on our planning team, just somebody to walk them through so they truly understand the impact of the change in the, in the amount. Because again, that amount drives so much from a formula standpoint in a lot of plans. Yeah, that's great information. I think that, you know, in summary, just it's important to be looking at the estate plan. It's important to be working with trusted professionals. Uh, we're here to help clients guide that conversation. If, you know, if you're a prospect and you're listening in, we have access to resources in the trust company and even on the barrier to state planning team to be able to help walk through this information, connect you with the right people to make these sort of um, decisions. So I know we talked about this earlier. We could have went a hundred different directions and probably could do a few more podcasts from here, but I appreciate you taking the time to be on with us today. And um, yeah, it's just, it's such a great um, thing for us to have the sort of resources we have. And you've been such a great partner to us and, and to our team. So just want to say thanks for that. Well, no, thank you, Sean, for asking me to be part of this. Uh, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcast. You may visit our website at thejprgroup.com for more information about our team or like us on Facebook. If you'd like to speak to a financial advisor on our team, please contact our office at 270-467-9664. We hope to hear from you soon. This podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any security or instrument or to participate in any particular trading strategy. The information is considered to be from reliable sources, but its accuracy is not guaranteed. The opinions expressed are those of the show's host and guest and are not necessarily those of Robert W. Baird and Company, Inc. Baird does not offer tax or legal advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered by Robert W. Baird and Company, Inc., a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor, member FINRA and SIPC.